Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 22, and I'll just read two verses here this morning. It says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I've got four principles I want to share with you this morning, but before we can do that, I think we need to define a couple of things. Primarily, what is Jesus talking about when he talks about this, this good eye and this, and this bad eye? And you see, we live in a day and age today where a lot of people have come to this passage and they've interpreted it to mean all kinds of things. And I'll be honest with you, most of them have to do with pop psychology and that's not how you interpret the Bible. You don't open the Bible and immediately think about what it means to you. If you want to understand the Bible, you've got to open the Bible and figure out what it meant to the people that heard it the first time. See, when Jesus is speaking, he's speaking with purpose and he's speaking to a particular audience. And so what, what did these words, what did this, this thought, this illustration of a good eye and a bad eye mean to the original hearers? Well, we have to remember they're Jewish. Jesus is speaking primarily to Jewish people. And so if you want to know what the good eye and the bad eye means to Jewish people, you've got to dig a little bit, maybe into Jewish literature, and thank goodness we have that. It's called the Bible. And so I want to dig with you a little bit in Scripture, and I want to show you we're going to just define the good eye and the bad eye. We'll start with the bad, and then we've got four principles and we'll be done. And so let's look at this together. Deuteronomy chapter 15. It's going to be on your screen for the sake of time this morning, but write down that passage. Go back, look it over this week. Deuteronomy 15, starting in verse 7, it says, if there's a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving to you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. Those are important words. Or uh, tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Let's go on. It says, rather, be open-handed. And freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near. So that you do not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing. Okay, and so there's some important words in there. It says that we're, we're not to be uh, hard-hearted or, or tight-fisted. It says we're not supposed to think about when the, the year of Jubilee is coming. You know, they had this year of Jubilee every seven years. They were to cancel debts. It's a great thought, isn't it? Woohoo! Aren't we aren't we due for one of those, man? Aren't we due for one of those? Uh, come on, Chase, cancel those debts, right? Come on, AmeriCorp or whoever your bank is. Uh, so it, it, it says, listen, don't be thinking about that because if you're thinking in those ways, then then you're going to be hard-hearted and tight-fisted, and you're going to show ill will towards your brother. And I want to show you something this morning. That phrase "ill will" in the Hebrew, in the original language, it literally translates "bad eye." It says if if you're thinking about things that way, if you're thinking about when when the year of canceling debts is, if if you're worried about money and, and, and monetary possessions, then you're having a bad eye or an evil eye towards your brother. Let me show you one more. Proverbs twenty three, Proverbs twenty three, verse six and seven. It says, "Do not eat the food of a stingy man." Do not crave his delicacies, for he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. Again, that phrase, stingy man, guess what? It, it literally translates, don't eat the food of a bad-eyed man or an evil-eyed man, for he is always thinking about the cost. Now, when we put those two passages together, it gives us a pretty, 
pretty good idea of what Jesus is talking about when he warns about this bad eye. And so this is how we're going to define it this morning. Uh, All right. The bad eye refers to being selfish, stingy, and greedy. And the reason why is because of its desire for material possessions. That's what's going on. That's what's at the heart of these things. It's talking about people that are hard-hearted and and tight-fisted. People that are greedy. People that have great wealth, but they don't want to share with those in need. And they don't want to share with those in need because they're so focused on material possessions. That's the bad eye. So what is the good eye? Also from Proverbs, Proverbs uh, chapter 22, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9, it's on the screen again. It says, a generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Blessed, does that term sound familiar to any of you as you've studied the Sermon on the Mount? You remember that? We spent a good amount of time there and the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are, blessed are these great people of God that, that, that Jesus says we're going to be and here another blessing, blessing uh, upon the generous. And, and what does it mean to be generous? Again, if you go back to the Hebrew in the original language, believe it or not, this word generous means good eyed. It means blessed is the good eyed man. Blessed is the good eyed man. Because he shares all that he has with the poor and those in need. And so we translate this, our definition for good eye, it means to be generous and to be caring. And the reason why is because it understands that all we have is a gift from God. It's what the good eye is. The good eye is this great understanding that everything that you and I possess, we don't really possess. It's a gift. And if it's a gift and it was given to you freely, which means you don't deserve it, therefore there's no reason for you to hang on to it, right? Because you didn't deserve it in the first place. Therefore, the good eye understands everything that he has was given to him even though he didn't receive it. Therefore, he cares about people and their needs more than things, more than stuff, all right? So that's the good eye and that's the bad eye. And understanding that, then we can look at these principles that are laid out for us in these two verses. Okay, and they're really, really important. Here's number one. First thing this morning I want you to see is that our ambition has the power to affect our whole life. And you want to underline that word there on your notes. Our ambition has the power to affect our whole life. Verse 22 and 23, it says the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if ever there was a warning against the power of material possessions, friends, this is it. See, some of you thought we took it easy last week. We talked about what it is and what it's not. And you thought, well, wow, Jesus isn't really going to crack down too much on all the stuff I have. Oh, you just wait. You see, because he's going to get to the heart of the matter here and he's going to warn strongly against the power of these material things. And you've got to hear the language that that our Lord carefully and, and, and craftily uses. He begins by saying, as we studied last week, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You're going you're gonna to live for whatever you long for. And, and he's building up his case. And then he says, listen, 
The eye is, is the lamp of the body. I'm telling you, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That's a big word, whole, isn't it? He, he means it not just part of, of your life. When he talks about your whole body be, being full of light, he's, he's not just saying, listen, just a part of your life will be full of light. He's not just talking about your church life. Right? He, he doesn't just mean your marriage. He doesn't just mean your kids. He doesn't say a segment of your life will be full of light. He doesn't say a, a compartment of your life will be full of light. He says, listen, folks, if your eyes are good, get this, your whole life, every nook, every cranny, every aspect of your life will be full of light for the glory of God. That's huge. According to Proverbs, we'll be blessed. Proverbs 22.9, that's the blessed life. It's that life where we are full of light every ounce. But hear the warning. If your eyes are bad, then the whole of your life, not just the hidden part that nobody else can see, not just the secret sin areas, not just a compartment, he says the whole of your life, every aspect, every nook, Every cranny will be, another big word, full of darkness. It won't just be dark. It won't just be shaded gray. Friend, it'll be black. It'll be full of darkness. That's the warning that Jesus gives against material possessions. And if ever there was a time that the church probably needed to hear it, I think it's the church here in America today. We're, we're, we're having this conversation this morning where you hear so many people say that, that, that they're, they're afraid to fully surrender to God because they think God's going to call them to Africa. How, how many American Christians have you heard say that? Well, I don't know if I surrender to God, I'm going to go to Africa. Why are you so afraid of Africa? Because it's the opposite of America? Right? Because it's a place where, where people have nothing in comparison to us that have everything and we're so spoiled. Hear the warning that Jesus gives, friends. I'm telling you, our ambition has the power to affect not just a part of our life. The things that we desire can affect the entirety, the whole of our being and our existence. It's a staunch warning. Number two, I want you to see this morning that greed doesn't just seek to extinguish our love for God. It actually seeks to expel it altogether. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul warns, do not put out the Spirit's fire. I think that's a great warning for us, church, this time of year, right? It's camp time, and uh, we just had our, our youth just came back from camp on Friday. Our preteeners leave for camp on Tuesday, and when these kids return, they return on fire for Jesus. They return passionate and excited about the Lord. And, and when they come back in that kind of uh, fashion, when they come back as those kind of people, we just have two options. We can, as Paul writes Timothy, fan into flame that newfound passion and love for Christ, or... We can choose to allow their passion to make us completely uncomfortable because after all, we lack it. And since we don't have that level of passion, we can seek to extinguish that newfound love that they have for Jesus so that we feel more comfortable about where we are.
And so we say things like, well, it's just a camp high. It's just, it's just, it, it's just I, I know that you want to go change the world right now, but that'll fade. Oh, friend, it doesn't have to. I know you had a good week. I'll tell you, it doesn't have to fade. It doesn't have to change. I'm here because of a camp. Today, my life was forever changed because of what happened at a youth camp. Doesn't have to change, right? And so, so I share that with you this morning because that's kind of the warning that we find here in this passage. You know, it's kind of a, a, a portrait of what the evil eye really does. And, and let me walk you through how it happens. It, it, we, we begin to want what we don't have, right? That's called coveting, by the way. So we begin to want what we, we don't have. And when we do, our love for God begins to fade. It doesn't just begin to fade. It just gets doused out. That's what happens. You say, well, how does that happen? Because the moment that we begin to want what we don't have, the moment that we begin to covet, we, we fall into the same lie that Adam and Eve fell into. We begin to think that the, the problem is God is holding out on us. And if God is holding out on us, then God is not really as good as he says he is. And if he's not really as good as he says he is, then he doesn't deserve our undivided love and devotion anymore. And so our love for God is extinguished. But I want you to understand, friends, greed doesn't stop there. See, that's only the first step for greed. The first step for greed is that it wants to extinguish your love for God so that you're not passionate about Him anymore. The second step is it wants to kick God out of your life altogether. Hear how the Scripture describes it, verse 23. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Not just partial darkness. It says full of darkness. And then get this. It says, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness, the imagery is that material possessions can actually completely choke out every ounce of God in your life. So that you are left completely empty and dark. Without hope, without love, and without God. Hear the warning. Greed doesn't just seek to extinguish your love for God. It wants to expel it from your life altogether. It wants to leave you dark and empty and cold and uncaring and stingy and selfish. It wants you to be your own God. Number three. I want you to see this morning that according to this text, the good eye is singularly focused. The good eye is singularly focused. We're going to read it in context starting in verse 20. Uh, let's, let's start in verse 22, I guess. Um, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And you read, you just keep, it's the same thought here. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And we read it in context and, and we study the wording. We find some interesting things that word good. It talks about the good eye. It also literally means good or single in Greek. The single eye. Right. What is that saying? Well, you read it in context. It says the single eye. And then immediately it talks about. A kind of vision that is blurred, that is focused on two things instead of one. What's that called? That's called double vision, isn't it? And, and, and Jesus goes on and says, listen, 
Okay, if your eye is single, if your eye is good, your life is going to be full of light. But I'm here to tell you, if you've got double vision, if you're trying to focus on me and this world, then your whole body, your whole life, everything about you will be full of darkness because you cannot serve both me and the world. You cannot serve both me and money. You cannot chase after me and material things. You can't have double vision. And what he's saying is, guys, no matter what life throws our way, we've got to have one single focus. We've got to have one single passion. We've got to have one single aim. And his name is Jesus. That's what it means to have a good eye. It means that we're focused on Jesus and the things that Jesus focused on. That we're focused on loving God and we're focused on loving and caring for others. It, it's a call that challenges us to the core of our being. It's a call that forces us out of our comfort zone. It's a, it's a call that should make us ask, am I giving my all? Not am I giving some, but am I giving my all for the cause of Christ. And friends, I fear that if we really ask ourselves that question, that we'll find that as a collective church, as, as the whole church today, that the answer to that question has to be no. Not like these men and women, are we? When you read your Bible and you read about these men and women, you've got to ask yourself, is the church being this kind of church today? If the answer is no, then it shows us something about our individual lives. About what we're chasing after, about what we've bought into. You see, my fear is that this world is so ingrained in us that we think that we can have it both ways. And that somehow we think that having it both ways, we're still honoring God. And yet we're still wondering why he's not returned. The good eye is singularly focused. Number Four will be done. I want you to see this morning that the good eye always sees the mercy and the goodness of God. The good eye always sees the mercy and the goodness of God. In Matthew uh, chapter 20, we, we read a parable about a, a, a vineyard owner and, and, and some workers. And, and, and I just want you to think about this in context. The bad eye craves material possessions and thinks that God is constantly holding out on us, the good eye is just the opposite. And so, so in this parable, there's a landowner and he goes out early in the morning, you remember, and he hires some men to work his vineyard. And he, he says, listen, I want you to come work for me today. These guys basically kind of like down at the park, they're standing out, they're day laborers, they're looking for a job. And this guy comes out and he says, listen, let's agree on this. You come and work for me and you work for me all day and I'll pay you a denarius. And they said, that's great. That's a, that's a, that's a fair price. And they agree to it and they shake on it and they go to work and they begin working for the man. And so then the man comes back in the third hour it says and he comes back in the third hour and he hires some more men and he comes back again at the at the sixth hour and he hires some more men and so he's spending all day he's just going back and he's hiring more men and he's bringing them out to the vineyard and then at the end of the day it says that he has his men basically pay everybody the same price it says those, those men that were hired first, they, they began to grumble against the owner, to which the owner replies, this is Matthew twenty fifteen. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? In the Greek, in the Greek, the word envious here, it literally translates, or is your eye bad? Because I'm generous. 
Is your vision impaired because I'm generous? Is your eye evil because I'm generous? And of course, what it's saying to us, the, the, the point, it's talking about the grace of God. God's saying, I'm, I'm the giver of grace. Shouldn't you be focused on the fact that you've received grace? Not on whether or not I extend grace to someone that you don't deem as good as you? It's the point of the passage. I love how John Piper puts it. He says, the good eye sees God and his ways as the great treasure in life, not money. The good eye always sees God and his ways as the great treasure in life, not money, not material possessions. That's what the good eye does. It always sees the mercy and the goodness of God. That's the kind of vision that we're called to have. When we look at others and we look at our own life and we understand that it's only by the grace and the goodness of God that we have anything. We always see his mercy, okay? That's a strong, strong word. Those two verses of the Bible may be the strongest warning to the church today that we can find. So what do we do with it? I'll give you two things and and, and we'll close our time together and we'll let the Lord work on you. Here's, Here's what we do, okay? Number one, I want to challenge you this week. Please, please, please get your eyes checked. I'm not talking about your physical eyes. I'm talking about your spiritual eyes. Get your eyes checked. And and listen, I know that that can be expensive these days. And so I'm going to give you a free resource. All right. You want to get your eyes checked. Open up your Bible. Open up the word of God. I encourage you to read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you want focus and you have little time this week, then focus on Matthew chapter 6. If you really want focus, focus on Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Focus on those verses. And I tell you, you can't read those verses without having a a spiritual checkup. You can't read those verses without having your vision checked. It's impossible. And so I challenge you this week, get your eyes checked. And and, and here's what's going to happen as you read through this great text of Scripture. Uh, God is going to make it very plain to you what his kingdom and his pursuits are about, and what this world and its pursuits are about. And the challenge for you, friends, and you've got to be honest, if you lie about it, it doesn't help anybody, right? If, if, if you go to the eye doctor and he has you stare at the screen and you've memorized all the letters, is that going to help you be a safe driver? Is not. Is not, is it? That's why I think they should change those things up, you know. I know some of you, Byron's smiling, I might have memorized a line or two, right? It's not going to help. You've got to be honest, and you're going to have to be honest this week. If you find that you've got a little bit of double vision, if you find that, as Jesus says, that that, that you're really looking at two things and you're trying to pursue two things and, and you feel like most of us that pursue two things do, you feel a little miserable, you feel a little unproductive, you feel like your life's not amounting to anything, right? Because that's what happens when we're, we're caught living in two kingdoms. If that's you, there's one other thing you got to do, okay? you got to go do something about it. If you get your eyes checked and you find that you're suffering from double vision, then I want to give you one other thing this morning. It's a referral. I'm going to give you a referral to the best doctor I know. He's called the great physician. His name is Jesus. I want you to hear what he says in his word. 1 John 1, 9. 
you find this week that you're suffering from this double vision, if you find this week that you're, you're living and you're striving after these material things, that, that, that literally they are your passion in life, that they are the things that you're pursuing in life, that you love Jesus, you say, I, I love Jesus, but, but you're not living full out for Jesus. If that's you this morning and that's what you're struggling with, then I want to tell you, go see the great physician because he can fix you. First John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive you of your sins and purify you of all unrighteousness. He'll make your eyes right. He'll make your eyes right. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Yet I hold this against you, Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. That's his instruction to the church. Church, hear me today. How is your love? Let that be your question. God, how is my love for you? Is it really first? And I mean, is it really first to the point that if we follow you around and we videotape your life and we play it back, but we turn down the volume... Is it evident that Jesus is first? Or is he just a part of your life? Are you wondering why you read the Bible and it calls you up to such heights? Yet you're miserable because you feel like you're not living out any of those things. You wonder what it would be like to have a life that is full of light. Get your eyes checked this week. Let it start here. Let it start now. All right? Would you pray with me?